We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today is brought to you by MyBookie. From all the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while with MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus. Double your own money before you even place a bet. All you got to do is sign up and deposit using my exclusive promo code, Kevin DC at MyBookie. There are tons of great games, prop bets to take advantage of this week. Uh, and so, as always, as I say about my bookie, fair spot to wager, really fair point spreads, fair pricing, um, plenty of options to bet on anything you want, um, including in-game and an online casino as well, where you can play online craps, Tommy, and you can play online blackjack, and there are many forms of blackjack lots of different poker games all at my bookie mybookie.ag mybookie.com use my promo code kevin dc they'll double your first deposit instantly so you deposit 500 bucks you'll have a thousand bucks in your account even if you're wagering somewhere else do it at my bookie and get the free money to wager from and use it as a comparison shopping uh, uh environment for point spreads and money lines and pricing uh, their point spreads, money lines, and pricing are always on point, uh, as they say. Uh, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Uh, later on in the show, uh, we have a special guest. As long as I'm able to pull off the uh, two-person guest at the same time um, ability with this uh, phone, which is now newfangled and has some new... Um, conference call features. I think I'll be able to figure it out. But on the show will be Mark Stern, our good friend, Mark Stern, the producer of Sports Fix 1.0 for seven and a half years. Ten years ago today, Mark Stern, who would impersonate Christopher Walken on our radio show, uh, went deep into the Christopher Walken, Natalie Wood disappearance night, uh, which had happened many years previous to that because there had been an update to the story, and it set off a shitstorm that none of us anticipated. We will explain when we have him on. Will you ever forget that day? Well, here's the thing. That's probably maybe maybe one of the greatest moments in Sports 6 history, and I wasn't there for it. 
you weren't there for it? I was at Wyomania. Oh, my God. Then you know what? I don't have to have you on when Mark comes on. Why did I think you were on? Do you know you were? I was, I, I was in, a, in a bus in Laramie, Wyoming, where one of the guys says to me, you know, Christopher Walken was, was on your show talking about Natalie Wood. And I saw and I, I watched from, from afar how this thing blew up and couldn't believe it. But I was in Wyoming. You know what, then, Tommy? You weren't there on two of the more memorable sports fix days, that day and the earthquake day, because you were not yes. there. I, I know I was doing this show. Uh, Steven Spector was producing because you and Mark were both off. It was in the middle of August, so I'm assuming because we I was always, at the beach. Yeah, you, took, you were on vacation. Stern was on vacation. Yeah. And, um, and that, by the way, was 10 years ago in August. Uh, when that happened, when we were on the air during uh, that earthquake back in 2011, I forgot. I I should have asked you before we started the show, but we never really talked yeah. that much before the show. Um, and no. so I just figured you were there. Uh, well, no, I wasn't there. It, it just goes to show you that when I'm not there, you really have to step up the show to fill <laughs> in the gaps. We've got to create <laughs> newsworthy topics. Yeah, uh, that was yes. a newsworthy day. I mean, poor Joe White, who wrote for the Associated Press, listened to that segment, thought it was actually Christopher Walken talking about the night that Natalie Wood uh, went missing um, and all of the controversy about her um, presumed death. And uh, he wrote about it on the Associated Press. He was an Associated Press writer. He had been in um, his car listening to the show. And uh, the bottom line is, is that he thought it was real. He thought that, that Christopher Walken was, for some strange, strange reason, uh, uh, b- deciding to open up about the Natalie Wood night on a sports talk I'm show in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then all hell broke loose. CNN, MSNBC, what? Fox, yeah. Entertainment Tonight, yeah. Access Hollywood. They all started calling... And we had to fess up that it was just a bit that we were doing. Anyway. But it was one. I mean, that set aside during football season, that weekly fantasy football bit. That was great. Uh, was great. I looked forward to that so much. Well, that, that fooled Stern everybody, so too. good at it. They, that fooled yeah. everybody, too. Mark Stern did a Christopher Walken impersonation. It's the best. And we decided that he would come on the show as a – uh, as a rabid, passionate Washington Redskins fan, um, and do a fantasy football segment with us each week. And I would say, Tommy, no less, no less than 60% of the audience each week thought it was actually Christopher yes. Walken. Absolutely. And, Even though he, he said he was, he was calling from his, his Walken Winnebago from the parking lot at FedEx Field. He was always coming into town for the big game. Um, Mark will join uh, the show a little bit later on and we'll reminisce about that particular day. And now we can do it without having to worry about the, these new phones that are in that have um, that I, I could figure it out. I'm not that technologically um, uh, ignorant uh, or or uh, inadequate. I, 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 I'm looking at it, though, now and I. I'm not sure exactly how I would conference in two people. So I'm it's smart. A, it's a good not th- dumb like everybody says. It's a good thing. I'm smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, 
I guess we're going to start with some sports, and I guess we're going to start with Maryland's loss to George Mason last night, which, by the way, I had Kim English, the head coach of George Mason, on the radio show this morning. He was excellent. It was very funny, Tommy. He said, he said um, <clears throat> that this was, this was no, no different a game. I mean, this, this, this game meant no more or no less than the Morgan State game did on Sunday night when they beat Morgan State by 37 points. He said, we prepared the exact same way. Um, We don't prepare any differently, uh, you know, for a power five team or a ranked team than we do for uh, Morgan State. We didn't prepare any differently than we prepared for Stony Brook or Penn. And so I said to him, I said, well, I'm not really asking about the preparation. I'm curious as to your players' reaction. You know, this had to be a different opportunity for them it's it's a local team you know Maryland and Georgetown you know when the the other locals get a chance to play and and measure up to the two big power programs in the area it's probably a big deal for them and he said no not not really not really but then at the very end of the interview I was talking about the coaches that he had coached with he coached with Rick Barnes last year at Tennessee um, he coached with Tad Boyle at Colorado, who happens to be one of Mark Turgeon's best friends in coaching. Um, and he coached with Frank Haith, uh, before that at Tulsa. Um, and so I said, um, did, did they, uh, reach out to you last night? He said, yeah, all three of them called all three yeah. of them called. <laughs> so well, I, I don't, I, I don't think they necessarily called after the Morgan state win, but I understand no. he wants to play it. You know, they're, they're a good team. I'm going to get to that in a moment. He wants to play it like it wasn't that big of a deal, um, and and good for him. Um, look, you know what I get on Twitter every time Turgeon loses a game. It doesn't matter who they lose to. They could lose to number one ranked Michigan State um, by two points in East Lansing, and I'm going to get the Turgeon bashers. Oh my, they come after me. You can never you know, criticize them. Why don't you ever criticize him? How do you think he's a good coach? And so on and so on. It's been happening for years. Um, And I have criticized him many times over the years, but that's beside the point. Um, It's November 8th, 17th, last night was. Uh, There's a long season to go. College basketball is very different these days, especially with the transfer portal. You can reshape your roster and – you know, every opportunity, every program is getting an opportunity to tap into those Power Five program players, who, by the way, weren't getting enough time because they, you don't have to sit out; you transfer right away. Um, and so, a lot of this was taken advantage of. And Mason got a bunch of transfers, and they're a good team. I don't know what they where they'll finish in the A10, but I know a good basketball team when I watch one. And I was watching a good basketball team last night. I knew it um, certainly early in the second half. Uh, in watching them. You could tell they were well-coached and they had players. And he specifically said to me, I didn't think there was a talent disadvantage in the game. Um, And certainly watching last night really didn't appear to be that much of a talent uh, differential. Usually there is. There's at least some level of talent difference between, you know, a Maryland out of the Big Ten and a George Mason out of the A-10. Last night there wasn't necessarily. Um, So there was that. And then there was the fact that Mason played really well. They made 12 of 24 shots from behind the arc. Uh, The kid Schwartz, the transfer from Colorado, was 6 of 10 from behind the arc. Maryland had a difficult time guarding them, and even when they were guarded, they just knocked down a lot of shots. 
And that can happen in a 40-minute college basketball game. We see it in March. We see it in November and December when you get a lot of these matchups. This isn't unique anymore. An A-10 team beating a Big Ten team. An A-10 team, you know, knocking off a Big East team. And George Mason, by many accounts, was a team that people think can contend for the upper echelon of the A-10 this year. And I think we saw a team that can. Now, do I like losing to George Mason as a Maryland guy? No. Do I think it's a bad loss? Yeah, I think anytime you lose a home game to a team that, you know, perception-wise is inferior to you, and by the way, it's a local team, yeah, I think it's it's not a good it's not a good loss, but the game itself, the loss wasn't a terrible loss. They didn't lose to a team that was terrible. They didn't lose to a team that they were much superior to. The, the point spread, by the way, opened at 13, Tommy. It came down to nine. Do you know wow. how much? It was the biggest moving game on the board because there was sharp money, I mean, just pouring in on George Mason. So somebody knew something about Mason being better than a team that should be a 13, 14-point underdog to Maryland. And maybe they knew something about Maryland, which I would say they're, they're a work in progress right, right now. They have some talented players. They have a lot of transfers who are playing. You know, a lot of new players. they got a freshman that's a big part of their, their rotation. They've got two to three, tra- oh, three transfers that are a big part of the rotation. And they lost their best player last year in Aaron Wiggins. So it's, it's a bit of a work in progress for them. I think they're going to be a really good team. I think they're going to be a tournament team. I think they're an upper echelon, you know, top four, top five Big Ten team. Um, but Mason was really good. And, you know, in these games that are somewhat even, if you make shots, which they did, and you miss shots, which Maryland did, that's going to be the difference in the game. They made shots, Maryland didn't. Why did Maryland not make shots? Well, I think they relied too much on the perimeter. I think that they, um, I think their spacing wasn't great. I think they didn't go inside enough, and I think when they did, they didn't handle the double team very well. I think defensively, they had a very difficult time guarding them until maybe the last five or six minutes of the game. Um, so much so that they went to a zone at one point. You know, when you are – let me just tell you something, Tommy, that doesn't happen unless you're like Syracuse where you play zone all the te- time. Right. When you are when you have a superior talent advantage over a team, the team with the superior talent advantage rarely, unless it's their, 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 the, the thing they do, they rarely have to play zone. You can stay in front of everybody defensively. You can. I don't know why Maryland didn't switch more last night. That's another subject altogether. But they went to a zone against Mason. That tells you all they all you need to know. Maryland couldn't guard him for a stretch in that game. They were stretching him by knocking down the threes, and then the floor was spaced, and they were getting downhill against Maryland defensively. And they just were better last night. Maryland's lost games like this over the years where I've been like, oh, that's a terrible loss because that team they lost to really isn't that good. Um, AU, uh, not AU, Vermont on Sunday, on Saturday, really good team. They're going to win their league more likely than not. They're going to give people trouble. And I thought that was a quality win for Maryland and they won by 11, but it was a close game and they won the game. But I was like, they could have lost that game. And then going into the game last night, when I saw the point spread move, I'm like, uh Oh, somebody knows something about Mason. I knew nothing about Mason before the game last night. Nothing. Uh, they were good. They were good, and they deserved it. What do you, you know, want? What do you, you know want to what ask I, me? I I particularly like about this is uh, the uh, the way you treat the programs in town that are not Georgetown or Maryland. 
I mean, you, you treat them like like the little kid who, you know, once in a while, once in a while does something that, that you notice and you say, that's nice. That's <laughs> well, Mason that's went to a Final Four. But still, still, that's what you do. Yeah. Well, because I because, you know, because one of the two teams in town that is the power program national champion uh, chip banner hanging team is mine. If I were a Mason grad um, or an AU, you know, alum, I would I, I probably would feel differently. But I'm not in those shoes. So yeah, you're right. I can be a little bit condescending to the rest of the teams in town. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's good, and I, I think it's good when the local teams play each other. Then yeah. I, th- I think it's good when that happens. I think it's good when Maryland and Georgetown schedule those local teams. Yes, I agree. Maryland has, you know, had beat GW last week. Maryland's lost to GW several times over the years. You know, GW's yeah. had some really good teams, and they've played. And remember, they played in that event down, at, you know, at, at, at MCI Capital One Arena um, for many years, and. Um, and uh, and and GW won some of those games. Now Mason had never beaten Maryland. I think AU beat Maryland at some point. And by the way, Georgetown scheduled American. They beat American last night, so they played AU last night. But Tommy, can I just tell you something? Because he said yeah. to me this morning, Kim English, the head coach at George Mason, he said. You know, we heard that some of the Maryland players were saying this is a really big game for George Mason. Well, he said that's that's kind of condescending, and we kind of thought it was it should have been a big game for them. Well, I love the bravado from him. That's great, and you you, you can be, you can certainly be that way, especially after you win. I mean, you can say whatever you want about you know after you win. Like the Morgan State game was no different than the Maryland game, which just isn't true. But that's fine. You can say that. Um, but I'll tell you what, he's right about that. And I did read where Turgeon said after the game, we had some players say that this was a big game for George Mason. We need to understand that that should have been a big game for us. You can't say that. I can say that. They can't <laughs> say that. You know, it's, no, you're right. you're it's, right. it's true. You know, when AU or Mason or Navy or GW get a shot at Georgetown or Maryland during the regular season, it is a big deal. I mean, of course it is. So, for, for, but, but, but you can't say that if you're Maryland or Georgetown. And by the way, Georgetown no, because lost to Dartmouth the other day. They stink. Yeah, I know. Because basically, when you're saying that as a player, you're saying that you know they're lucky to be on the same court with us. Yeah, you can't say that. Can't say yeah. that. Uh, honestly, I enjoyed watching them play last night. I didn't want them to do well. But as a basketball person, I understood that they were very well coached. The kid Oduro, who is the kid he kept, um, the 6'9", you know, versatile player. I mean, he's got old school in his game. I mean, he had an up and under in the first half. He caught the ball in the big possession they, they were up 67-66. Eric Ayala hit two threes. It's a one-point game with a minute to go. Maryland now is one stop away from having the ball with a chance to take the lead in a game that they didn't deserve to win, but they were right there with a chance. And they went inside to this kid, Oduro, who got – uh, you know, who took uh, 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 Juju Reese, who is really going to be a really good player. Even uh, Kim English said, 
this morning. He said that that Reese is going to be a really good player. Maryland's freshman from Baltimore, and he is. He's going to be a really good player. Um, but he fronted the big co- uh, the the big kid uh, Oduro, and they got no backside help, and he ended up with a layup to give him a three point lead, and then Ayala missed a three. So um, they'll, they'll learn from it. I I think I said this. I've said this to you before. I don't think I already said it, but I remember Coach Thompson once walking into the bullpen as we were walking out one day, and I think I had made a big deal out of Maryland winning a big game in November. And, you know, as he would say to um, all of us who, you know, he uh, at least uh, didn't mind conversing with, motherfucker, (laughs) because if he liked you, you were an MFer. And he said, he said, there's nothing, nothing more meaningless in sports than college basketball results in November. To which I said, well, of course not when you're playing Hawaii Hilo in St. Leo. (laughs) 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 And he laughed and he said, no, he said, I'm telling you, this is the sport that changes the most between November and by the time you get into conference play, January, February, because every year you got a new group of kids a lot of the time and you don't know what you have and how you're going to play. And I think he's been right pretty much. I mean, Michigan State's like the perfect example. They're the team that sometimes gets into conference play and they're like 500. You know, they've lost like five games already. And then by the time you get to March, Izzo's got the whole thing figured out. Um, anyway, uh, it was for you guys that, that are really devastated by this and think it's all Turgeon's fault. Um, it's not all Turgeon's fault. Um, they played a good team last night who will be good in the A-10. And here's the thing about losing a game like that. And then, by the way, on the flip side, Mason winning a game like that, both teams will be rooting for the other because they want the loss to look like a quality loss if you're Maryland. And if you're Mason, you want that win to look like a super high-quality win. So you'll be rooting for Maryland to do really well in the Big Ten and be a team that you know ends up being a higher-seeded team when the NCAA tournament comes around because it'll help Mason. Mason, by the way, good for him. He's gone out and scheduled. They've got some teams coming up um, that they are playing. Uh, they're playing um, – hold on, let me pull it up because I had it earlier. They're playing Washington. They're playing Nevada. They're playing South Dakota State. They're good. They're playing Georgia. They had Maryland on the schedule. So they, they have uh, – they've scheduled well here in the non-conference. And then St. Bonaventure in the A-10 is ranked. Um, all right, we're done with college uh, basketball talk. The Wizards lost last night too. Um, I was flipping back and forth, but not really – uh, but what really appeared to be an issue, you could tell every time I flipped it during a commercial, uh, Charlotte was playing zone and the Wizards could not make a shot. But that's the first game that they had, but that snaps a five-game losing skid. They shot it poorly um, for one of the first times. They were eight for 42 from behind the arc. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, they didn't shoot well. No. Particularly three-pointers. Right. And then the Caps won last night. So there you go with all yeah. of the local sports. We usually don't do it this way, but there is – all of your local sports stuff. Let me just do a little uh, promo. Okay. Uh, I have a column that's running in tomorrow's Washington Times. In case you didn't know, I write a sports column for the Washington Times. Yeah. And uh, I, I you know. go to WashingtonTimes.com slash sports, and you'll find it. I have a column tomorrow on Tommy Shepard, who got a contract extension. It was announced yesterday and promoted to team president as well as GM. 
for the Wizards, and I did an interview with his good friend Jay Wright, the coach of Villanova, about Tommy for the column. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Tommy and Jay Wright are really good friends. Remember when yes. they were in the hire, uh, coach hiring process, you you brought up Jay Wright. Yes. As somebody that... Well, that was because I knew, because I, I knew they had to, Jay Wright wasn't going to leave Villanova and wasn't going to leave to coach the Wizards. Right. But I knew him and Tommy were friends. So right. I wrote that, figured that. And plus, you know, like I said, that in a column I wrote, I remember they did a poll of NBA GMs the year before, and 25 out of 28 said at any college coach they would hire, it'd be Jay Wright. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, do you want to talk some Ron Rivera? Yeah, let's talk about uh, Riverboat Ron. Okay, we'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't cost you a thing. Helps us. Rate us and review us wherever you can. Um, always helps us. So Ron Rivera held a press conference yesterday. Uh, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to um, read to you. Um, some of these were not available on their website. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to have to read some of these to you. Um, the first one was about James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill. Uh, he said about James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill, the two players that are replacing Chase Young and Montez Sweat. 
Well, they're blue-collar worker type guys. They're physical. They're very physical. They do the dirty work, and they're not flashy as much as they're technically sound. They do their jobs. They use their techniques to the best of their abilities. They're going to give us a blue-collar work ethic. Close quote. If you missed Doc on the show yesterday, I would urge you to go back and listen to it. Many of you reached out to me to say how much you enjoyed it. And he was on. I mean, we both love Doc. Um, and some days Doc is just on. And he was on yesterday. And God, did he get after Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Chase Young in particular. Um, he said, it, you know, essentially said it wasn't coincidental that they had their best defensive day of the year. He criticized Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio for not going to these guys earlier and sending a message to, as he called them, the marquee poodles. <laughs> in, 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 Chase, in Chase and Montez. Um, saying that it's very clear to anybody that they have not been uh, adhering to the scheme, and he blames Rivera for allowing it to go on for as long as it went on. Um, and so Doc really got after him. And here's Ron Rivera saying yesterday, they're very physical, they're blue-collar, they do their jobs. What did we hear all season long? We've got some guys that aren't adhering to the scheme. They need to do their jobs. And we now, by the way, and we knew this over the last couple of weeks, there is no more when we come back to this at some future date and recount the 2021 season and the one and a half sacks that Chase Young had and the four quarterback hits that he had before he got injured. We're not going to revisionist history this, are we? Let's remember right now that Ron Rivera basically told you who he had been calling out all season long. In that interview with Mike Silver and then in the press conferences during the bye week. Chase Young... He spent, he spent all last week, basically. Oh, the, whole, the whole bye week, the whole bye time, he spent talking about Chase Young. And Montez and Sweat a to a lesser way. degree, yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now, he would say some things that were positive... You know, the John Wooden thing, if you've ever re- re- you know, read any John Wooden books, you know, The Pyramid of Success, um, it takes four constructive compliments before you can constructively criticize a college player. And I think that goes for any young player. Um, he was at a four-to-one ratio the other way last week. But every once in a while he would slip in, but he's working hard, he's showing up, yep. and you know he's yep. got the work ethic and the whole thing. But bottom line, Chase Young and probably to a lesser degree Montez Sweat, and I don't know, maybe another guy in the secondary, although we haven't heard anybody single that in the secondary, other than Landon Collins who was playing out of position, and they moved him to the position that he now is playing you know, fairly well. The bottom line is, let's not forget, and hopefully it'll change, that Ron Rivera essentially told you that Chase Young was not coachable in 2021. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. You know, but, I mean, I, I felt I, – I, we both said this was a problem uh, from uh, – let's not go in – let's not regurgitate the OTAs, but when we do uh, – when we do have to defend this 2021 – position about Chase Young someday, where we do have to explain it, the OTAs will be part of that explanation. 
and his absence at those OTAs. And, uh, you know, his answer to his commitment to his off-the-field, uh, you know, activities that prevented him from going to OTAs was, I was making money. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah, not... I was making money. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we talked about this last week. I don't want to go back through it, but the, the net of it is I don't have any problem with these guys trying to make as much money as they can. But their number one responsibility is to, is to their profession, which is professional football. And there was a way for him to make the money and also show up for uh, an OTA day or two, especially as a team leader. It pissed them off. I know it did. Um, and I told you that at the time, that they were not happy. The coaching staff wasn't happy about it. I have no idea what the players thought about it, but Doc said it best back then, and we repeated it yesterday. Doc, I'll never forget, called me after the show that I did the day that you know, we were talking about Chase Young missing the OTAs, and he said, leaders never give you a reason to question their leadership, and that's what he did by missing all of these OTA days. Will it impact his, impact his play on the field? Who knows? But at the very least, he created the environment for his leadership to be questioned by being the only one out of 90 players not to show up for, the, for any OTA day. Um, I wanted to read a couple of other Rivera quotes. Well, uh, wait a minute. Okay, I, I want to get back to something I mentioned uh, in the uh, podcast, near the end of the podcast, our, in our last one. And you went into a panic that I would even bring it up. Okay. You know, Chase Young is going to be rehabbing now. Right? Yes. Don't you think a documentary about his rehab is in the making? <laughs> no. No? Why not? I don't know. What gives you any reason that, I mean, why, why wouldn't he take advantage of another chance to make money at the same time? I don't know. I don't see him. That I... would be, it, it would be funny. It would be absolutely hilarious. If, if, oh, my if, God. If you, there you're was you're so marketing... rooting for it. You're so rooting for it. Well, of course there is, <laughs> because it would be so great if, if he tied some kind of marketing campaign to his rehab. It would be hilarious. Um, he was the one, right, that said, don't be a fan later last year. That was his line, don't be a fan later. Um. I don't see him in the same way that I see RG3. There were there were much bigger red flags, and by the way, much bigger red flags about him that we were hearing behind the scenes. I haven't heard any of that stuff about Chase Young. No. No, I have not. Yeah. But he wants to make money. Yeah, I understand. I understand. He's a Nike guy. You know what I... You um, know, they... T- can I just tell they, you something? that commercial. If, the commercial on TV we see every Sunday... Of him, you know, beating the crap out of a blocking sled. If that you know? if that opportunity presents him itself, and I were his coach or his advisor, I would say to him, "I think this is one you pass on. You are um, coming off like Robert Griffin III was at least coming off the best rookie season in the history of the NFL for a quarterback in a rookie of the year season. Um, He's now a year and a half removed from his rookie of the year season, and he had one and a half sacks and four quarterback hits. He was a total non-factor this year for them. And again, not to beat a dead horse, you can throw all the PFF – analysis you want 
I watched every game. I know what I was watching, and so do you guys. He for for Chase Young, that was hideously below expectations. It was not a good season for almost anybody, by the way. Um, so he shouldn't do something like that. But in this day and age, you know, who the hell knows what he's going to do? I mean, have you been following this Haskins stuff out of out of Pitt, out of Pittsburgh? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> So for those yeah. that don't know, Haskins apparently, you know, he was um, up the other day with uh, with Roethlisberger down because of COVID. He was the backup to Mason Rudolph. And somebody who covers the Steelers essentially tweeted something to the effect of, um, Dwayne Haskins is out here uh, checking his phone and throwing lousy passes and, passes and warm-ups. Well, checking his phone, some people said, well, you know, that could have meant that he was just listening to music with headphones, which, by the way, a lot of players do. And so there was a lot of pushback on this person. And then there was another report that said one of the coaches on the field pointed over to Dwayne and said, quote, look at that. How ridiculous is that? That's just lazy. Closed quote. Um, and that was um, those were Steelers coaches who observed that. I don't think listening to music, because I think a lot of players do listen to music when they're warming up, especially in the super early warm-up portion, if that's what he was doing, I don't think that's big of a deal. If he's looking down at his phone to, you know, uh, you know, to skip to a, a different song, I don't think that's a big deal. But if it's, a, if it's been an issue with him as it was here with his preparation – and this was just something thrown on top of it, even if it was a bit of piling on. Well, I mean, it's certainly based on the coach's comments. It would appear that Haskins has an issue there like he had here. Because that came yes. from a coach. Yes. The lazy comment. The How ridiculous saw, is that comment? I saw a former uh, Philadelphia general manager, Joe Banner, tweeted, at one point during the Steelers game, uh, if Dwayne Haskins isn't getting on the field now, he must be really Mason bad. Rudolph was terrible. Yes, and he's you know, and by the way, if Roethlisberger, um, you know, has issues, I mean, it's Rudolph. They're 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 not considering uh, at this point. They're not considering Dwayne Mason Rudolph last week. Well, he was 30, 30 of 50, 242 yards of touchdown and interception. Um, but he, apparently he wasn't very good in the game. They tied Detroit 16-16. Um, all right, this next, um, this next Ron Rivera that I wanted to read to you real quickly. There are two of them, okay? He was asked about giving Heineke his first start, actually, when they were in Carolina, and he said, and, what he, and how far he's come since then. Because Ron Rivera's going home to Carolina, Cam Newton's first game. A lot of drama around this game Sunday, for sure. Uh, Rivera said, quote, I think he's playing with a lot more confidence. I think his decision-making is getting better, obviously. I think with him, it's just a matter of getting reps and opportunities. I think he has improved a lot, and we're seeing it. Hopefully, we'll get some of the playmakers back on the field. We'll get our tight ends healthy again. We'll get more receivers back out there and really be able to see what we can do. We're starting to get the offensive line healthy again. Even though the guys that replaced the guys that were still hurt played well, we're starting to get those back guys back on the field as well. Then in a follow-up question, what do you think of his swagger. Yeah, he's got that. I think it's great. I really do. But I also think also think that the thing that helps him is that his teammates feel that. 
It's funny because when you talk to the guys about him, one of the things they always say is when we get the ball in certain situations, we feel like we have a chance. That's all part of it, is your teammates having confidence that you can get something done that really helps, closed quote. Tommy. That's big. Tommy, this leadership thing, this how the rest of the players feel about him, him in that first part of the answer giving some, you know, reasons why, you know, he hasn't gotten consistent results, you know, blaming it on the players that aren't on the field. And, and there's a certain truth to that. You know, no Logan Thomas, obviously, no Curtis Samuel, no Deami Brown. Gibson hasn't been completely healthy, but he has had Terry McLaurin for the most part and Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. And, you know, he's had some guys out there. It's not like he's been out there with you and me. Um, but this is like the second or third time in recent weeks, he's referred to the connection that he has with the other players in the locker room, how they feel about him. And the, one of the other quotes was more about his leadership ability. This is a big deal to Ron, a big deal. Remember when he benched Dwayne, demoted him to third string, he said, you know, I got 52 other guys that are looking at me saying, you know, come on, man, you know. Uh, no, with Taylor, it's the opposite. He he, Taylor has the locker room. You know, Ernie Corsi once told me that the most important thing you want out of a quarterback, and he said this was the most important thing, former GM of the uh, New York Giants, is uh, when he gets on the team bus to go to the game, you want his teammates to look at him and say, but we got a chance to win today because he's our quarterback. Right. So for him to go out of his way to describe what he thinks the team feels about this kid is pretty remarkable, I think. I, I look, I tell you, know, I, I, I'm, I'm falling for him head over heels right now. Now, that could change come Sunday real sure quick. Could. Of course it could. Yeah. But again, the, the Tampa Bay, the Tampa game was the game where he should have slid down further, where he should have made the final descent to the bench. And instead, he did the opposite. It, 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 at a time when he was being questioned the most, he stepped up the biggest. Yeah, that's tr- that is true. And I think. Yeah. I think there's something about Taylor Heineke that Ron Rivera and Scott Turner really like. I think it's a lot of the intangible stuff. I think it's the gamer part of it, the fact that they can throw him out there. You know, Doc said yesterday, and I agree with it, he's like, the dude's perfect for the being the emergency quarterback, meaning the backup quarterback. <clears throat> and I think, you know, bare minimum, this dude is going to be the backup here next year. Um, if they if they bring in another starter, which I think they will. I mean, this does not change my view that they're going to pursue a franchise quarterback, either in the draft or in some other way. Um, let's not forget, as I mentioned yesterday, that just two weeks ago, there were reports that they were interested in trading for, for Mitch Trubisky before the trade deadline. You know, so... The, the, and, and then we know what they did in the offseason. So they have their actions have said, we don't think Taylor Heineke is our long-term starter. But they do like a lot about him. And by the way, it's hard not to like a lot about him. 
There are things he does on the field from a football standpoint that are, you know, high level. I've said that before. I think he's a high level athlete with high level escapability and off schedule ability. And, um, you know, and he's, he's a gamer. He's all those things. But, you know, clearly what he also is, is he's smart and he connects with his teammates. And they, they think right now, they think when they get onto the bus, they look at him and they go, that guy gives us a chance. Yeah, And they did not think that about Dwayne Haskins. And I wonder what they thought about Alex Smith. You know, I, I, did I say this to you the other day? You know, the, the teams, you, you made the comment the other day. It's what, it's what made me think about it. So I'm going to give you credit for it. When you said the three games that they've won this year, they won because of Taylor Heineke. And it's true. The offense really hasn't been at the top of the priority or at the top of the blame list for, for any of their losses any, either. It's been the defense. And then I started to think about last year. You know, the truth is, no matter how bad they were offensively, and they were pretty bad offensively, this is a much more, with Taylor Heineke this year, a much more dynamic offense than it was at any point last year with anybody quarterbacking. You know, I think it's probably similar to what it was with Kyle Allen quarterbacking. Um, but Alex Smith started started uh, six games and went five and one as the starter. Yeah. Now, yes, he did. the defense played very well in some of those games because they were playing lesser teams and lesser quarterbacks and lesser offenses, with the exception of Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh was at the beginning, actually, of a, of a, of a late-season decline. And, but Alex Smith did play well in some of those wins. He managed the games well. He played exceptionally well in the loss to Detroit um, when Chase Young had the 15-yard penalty that cost him uh, dearly. Um, so, uh, but he played well against Dallas. He played really well in the second half against Pittsburgh. And then, you know, did just enough in that Philadelphia game at the end of the year. Um, you know, had the touchdown pass to Logan Thomas and and the touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin to, to get into the postseason. So it really hasn't, you know, in terms of the quarterback and the wins that they've had during the Ron Rivera era, except for that hideous Alex Smith performance in the second half when he came in for the for his first action against the Rams. It's actually right. not really, uh, and uh, other than Dwayne, it's not really been on the quarterback a whole hell of a lot. Weirdly, no. Anyway, no, it has. I wanted to real quickly before I say goodbye to you and hello to Mark Stern to finish up the show. Okay. Um, you say hello to Mark for me, okay? I will. Uh, ESPN put out something that um, that I've. I've literally had on my list of Washington football team topics over the years. I, hell, we may have even done this topic at some point. Um, I can't remember it. But they put out a story called, What is your NFL team's most heartbreaking loss? And so, you know, like the giant, the, the Bills' most heartbreaking loss was Scott Norwood missing the field goal in the Super Bowl against the Giants. Um here was one that I I do kind of remember. New England's worst franchise loss was a playoff game against the Raiders in 1976 
when Stabler had an incomplete pass when they were down 21-17 on a third and 18, but they called roughing the passer on remember Sugar Bear Hamilton, Tommy? Remember him? Yes, absolutely. Those were good Patriot teams. Really good Patriot teams with Steve Grogan at quarterback. Um, and it and was Chuck Fairbanks was the coach. That's right. Uh, and it was a terrible call. The Raiders kept the ball. They went on to score with 10 seconds left in the game to beat the Patriots 24-21. You know, Cleveland's had two devastating losses. The drive against Denver in the AFC title game and the fumble, the Ernest, Ernest Final, Biner fumble uh, a year later. Um, Dallas in, in the division... In the division, Dallas's worst loss or most heartbreaking loss is the Ice Bowl championship game to the Packers. The Eagles' most heartbreaking loss was to the Buccaneers in the championship game in 2003. They were a big favorite, lost 27-10. Um, the Giants' most heartbreaking loss they had as an NFC wildcard round game, if you recall that wild 39-38 um, wildcard game. The Giants led by 24, and then uh, uh, Trey Junkin had a terrible snap on the game-winning field goal that they, they, they weren't able to get off. Washington's worst loss is, in this story, my worst loss as a Washington fan. It's the one I've always referred to. I'm glad they got this right. And actually, Kime picked it for um, ESPN. I'm glad Kime got it right because it is the most heartbreaking and devastating loss for me of any of my favorite teams that I've ever rooted for. Although Gravis Vasquez getting beat in his final game against Michigan State by Corey Lucius's shot at the buzzer was pretty hard to take. But the 1979 season finale at Texas Stadium against the Cowboys, when the game was for the division and for essentially home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and in Washington's case, a loss meant no playoffs, no wild card, and a win meant they would be the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. And they had a 17-0 lead, and then they had a 34-21 lead, and then Staubach led them back. Two touchdowns in the final two and a half minutes of the game, and they win it 35-34, to and the clock runs out before a Mosley opportunity to kick a game-winning field goal. That is, for me, the worst and most heartbreaking loss in franchise history. There are others on my list, but for someone who has written so successfully and so extensively about the history of this team, what do you think is the most heartbreaking loss in franchise history? Well, I'll give you one. To me, this is a lock. And part of the problem is, you know, this is before ESPN, so it doesn't really exist. But in 1945... The Washington football team played in the NFL title game against the Cleveland Rams. Uh, in the first quarter, uh, the Redskins had the ball on their own five-yard line. Sammy Baugh threw the ball, but the ball hit the goalposts, which at the time was on the goal line instead of the back of the end zone, and bounced back into the end zone. Under the rules at the time, this was ruled a safety and gave the Rams a 2 to nothing lead. Washington lost that game 15-14. to 14. Wow. Uh, I, I do remember oh, now that you've champion. mentioned the final score. I think I've seen that before. 15-14 to 14 to the Cleveland that, that Rams. Would have given them, that would have given your franchise six NFL championships, not five. 
six. Right. One more than the Dallas Cowboys, who also have five uh, Super Bowl titles. They have no NFL uh, pre-Super Bowl titles. But that would have given you six NFL titles, not the least of which was uh, Washington missed two fourth-quarter field goals that would have given them the win. And at halftime, because the field was so icy, uh, Washington had brought sneakers with them to, to change into if the, if the conditions got too bad. But the coach for Washington, Doug DeGroote, had made an agreement before the game with Cleveland coach Adam Walsh, who didn't have access to other shoes, basically that Washington would not use their sneakers in the game. <laughs> and, yeah. and George Marshall went down, told him to put the shoes on, and the coach wouldn't do it. So they fi- so he fired the coach at halftime of a championship game. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Yes. Wow. That is the worst loss in franchise history. Well, I certainly didn't have that one on my list. And when you said 1945, <laughs> I thought you were going to say 73 nothing to the Bears, but that was 1940, yep. right? I think that was 1940. Yes, that was 1940. Um, which is the worst loss. This was one they should have won. Yeah. I um I think many people would say uh you know, it's certainly people my age or within, you know, um that realm of of having lived through their glory years that Super Bowl 18, the 38 to 9 loss yeah. in that Super Bowl would be the worst, yeah. but it wasn't the most heartbreaking because it was it wasn't a close game. They never had a chance. The Raiders dominated that Super Bowl. Um for me, it's the 79 game and I'm going to give you number 2 right now. The Mel Gray controversial catch in 1975, referred to as the Mel Gray game, was just one of the worst because not only did they call it incomplete, let me give you the situation. 1975, George George Allen skins, they ended up missing the playoffs by one game. They ended up missing winning the division by one game. Um, No, missed the wild card by one game. I think that's what it was. And they're playing St. Louis, a division team back then, in St. Louis late in the season. And they're up 17-10, to 10, and Jim Hart, the quarterback for the Cardinals, on 4th and 10 with 20 seconds left in the game, throws into the end zone to Mel Gray, and Pat Fisher breaks it up incomplete. This is one of those where if you actually watched, go, go search the Mel Gray catch against Washington, okay? And, I mean, it's, so, it's such a joke that they ultimately ruled this as a catch because now not only do you have to catch it, you have to come to the ground with it, you have to make a football move, you know, the whole thing. This dude had it in his hands for a second and then had it broken up by Fisher. The referees called it incomplete, and then all of a sudden they huddled up, the referees did, in St. Louis. And then five minutes pass, ten minutes pass, and then after about 10, 11, 12 minutes, they come out of the huddle. And the referee, the main referee, throws his arms up in the air and says, touchdown. <laughs> and they kick the extra point. The game goes to overtime. They lose 20-17. to 17. That was devastating. But let me give you heartbreaking because that was the, that, that's the most robbed they've ever been. Heartbreaking was the Sean Taylor week when they played Buffalo. And, you know, the week after Sean Taylor passed away and they played Buffalo at home. It is still one of the more surreal days that I've ever had as a sports fan. I'm talking specifically about sports. 
and they uh, the 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 moment of silence before the kickoff was I've never heard a stadium more silent than that. Um, anyway, most of you recall the game. Buffalo's up seventeen. Uh, Washington's up sixteen to fourteen at the very end of the game, and Buffalo trots on their kicker Ryan Lindell for a fifty-three yard field goal down sixteen to fourteen, and Joe Gibbs calls back to back timeouts. Well, you can't do that in the NFL. You can do that in college. You can't do that in the NFL. Joe didn't know it. And they walked off 15 yards and Lindell had a short 36-yard field goal that he knocked through and they lost 19 to 17. All right, lost 17 to 16. That was heartbreaking. I felt I I, I, I can, absolutely. I felt so awful for Joe. So awful. And of course, after that game, typical of a Joe Gibbs team, they didn't lose again after that, and they got to the postseason where they lost. Um, yeah. You know, they lost to Seattle in the first round, but they went on that run with Todd Collins down the stretch, won four games, and made the playoffs off that gut wrenching ending against Buffalo. Um, there are other uh, losses. Super Bowl Seven was a tough loss to take, uh, but um, the '79 Cowboys loss for me—that's. Uh, you, it, it was over. Like it was here. We're on the verge. We're two minutes away from going to the playoffs and having home field advantage. To we're not even playing in the playoffs. That way against your arch rival, man. Staubach could do it with the game on the line. But as you and I have talked about many times over the years, if they had won that game, they probably would have never gotten Joe Gibbs. Probably not. Jack. Jack uh, Pardee would not have been gone after the next season. That's right. Um, do you have anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. Uh, let me just tell everybody right now, even though you'd probably expect me to give Atlanta out as a smell test pick tonight, plus the six and a half, plus the seven, I'm not doing it. I got information uh, early this morning that the, there, there's major, super sharp money on the Patriots. Now, the public's on the Patriots, too. But the line opened at five and a half. It's up to seven now. Um, I'm going to stay off of it. I like Atlanta because every one of my dopey friends thinks that New England's going to kill Atlanta. New England won last week 45-7. to Atlanta lost 43-3. to It is a, a, a league of, of recency and, and recent impressions. Um, and I bet Atlanta plays well tonight. Um, but I'm, it's not a smell test pick. Plenty of smell test picks, though, tomorrow to try to follow up on my 8-0, Tommy. 8-0 weekend um, last week. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, let me give you my thoughts on what's going to happen Sunday. Yeah, give me a pick on the game. Okay. Washington 27, Carolina 24. Okay. Uh, a last-second game-winning field goal by Joey Sly, the Vegas guy. And the former Panther. Yes. All right, 27-24 Washington. Uh, I will talk to you next week. Yes. Thanks. Okay, boss. Mark Stern will join us next, and we will reminisce about 10 years ago today on the Sports Fix uh, when uh, Christopher Walken came on and talked about Natalie Wood, right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we don't have the audio of what happened 10 years ago. Uh, I don't. I looked for it and could not find it. I asked various people that I thought might have it, but they don't have it. Uh, we teased this at the beginning of the podcast. 10 years ago today, November 18th, 2011, on the Sports Fix version 1.0, uh, Tom Lavero, Kevin Sheehan, Mark Stern, um, the uh, triumvirate of uh, Sports Fix um, characters. But there was one character missing from the day, and I didn't know that until Tommy Mark told me earlier. He said, I wasn't there that day. I was at Wyomania, and I said, "Oh, that's right." And I said, "I, you know, he wasn't there for the earthquake day either, and you weren't there for the earthquake day. You were both on vacation. No, you weren't on vacation. You were producing some other show that day. Because remember, you were the one that went back up into the building before the all clear <laughs> sign." Um, yes, and I, I could hear Doc on the other end of the line, like talking to the loudspeaker. Is anybody there? What's going on? I'm like, yeah, there was, I think there's something that earthquake, but I'm here. Can you pop me up? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. With, with him. I forgot. I forgot Tommy was in Wyomania, and it was just me and you doing the show that day for the walking thing. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't there. It was just the two of us. And just um, before I let you take over and tell the story of the day, uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier in the show, but uh, Mark, most of you know who Mark is. Mark was is one of my very good friends. Mark is also was the producer of the Sports Fix for all seven and a half years of the Sports Fix. And he is, I think most of you know, uh, he is Nigel, um, his British alter ego, Nigel, on the Tony Kornheiser show. And um, on the Sports Fix... Stern does a lot of impersonations. He's he's a comic. He's a stand-up comic, and he does a lot of impersonations. But I think, you know, over the years, the impersonation that you've been most known for, especially among our group, is your impersonation of one Christopher Walken. So I don't know how the idea came about. I think I pushed you. I'm like, we got to work Walken into the show somehow. And then we came up with this bit that lasted several years where Christopher Walken would come on Friday's show acted and we we made it out and we tried to explain to everybody that Christopher Walken for some reason even though he's an actor and he's not from here and he lives in LA he's a huge Washington Redskins fan he goes to a lot of the games and we would have him come on and talk about the matchup uh whoever the skins were playing that weekend and then give some fantasy football tips 
and Stern would do that. And it was a running bit that literally each week, 50% of the people would say, this is amazing that Christopher Walken comes on your show. I mean, really, right? I mean... Well, if, if you remember, too, you would always ask Chris what he was up to, like what project he was involved in. Right. And we would come up with some, like, bogus movies that, like, sounded just plausible enough that you're like... Now, wait a minute. Is he really doing a reboot of Gilligan's Island with Megan Fox? And he's playing the prevent? Like, he's like, just real enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait a minute. That All right. I'm putting like you I'm putting you on the spot, but do it real quickly. I'm putting you on the spot, and I know you hate that. Van Pelt hates it, too, when I put him on the spot for impersonations. But give everybody an example of, you know, we would do this thing, and I'd say, Chris, uh, welcome back to the show, man. How you been doing? What are you working on these days? Right. Well, I'll just tell you, first off, before, Kev, it's fantastic to hear your voice again. And I'm, I'm right now in the walk-in Winnebago with Chase Young. I'm taking the rehab. The poor kid blew his ACL out. It's just a, a shame. Ah, I hate it. But life is good. Taylor Heineke is a fantastic quarterback. And I'm just thrilled at the win over the box. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Are you, you going to be in, in Charlotte this weekend for the, uh, for the game against the Panthers? Right. Well, I would, but I'm working on a new movie with David Duchovny and um, <laughs> uh, Megan Fox. I wish she was going to be a part of it, but no, Shirley MacLaine is going to be in this role as well. It's a science fiction flick. I play an FBI skeptic, Duchovny, and sort of an X-Files-ish reunion. Um, it's going to be fantastic. So that was the bit every Friday. And then I would ask something like, all right, who are you sitting and who are you starting this week? <laughs> right, right. And it would literally go from the absurd and then to like, yeah, like walk in with your picks and you know, yeah. you got to start Adrian Peterson and all this. Right. And yeah. And, we, and I think we did it for most of like the time that we did the show. I think it was. I think we did it for the whole show, didn't we? It was a several-year Friday during football season bit. And then I yeah, think, you yeah, know, I think, you know, like we would do this thing around draft time where we would say, I would say, you know, to, to Tommy and you, I'd say, look, I got a text from Walken. He wants to come on and talk about the draft. <laughs> and and then we would do that. And people would be, like, blown away. They would be like, I, I don't get it. Why? And, and and I would just say, like, remember, we would say if callers would say something, I would say he's a huge Skins fan, and he listens yep. to a lot of the shows on the station. What do you want me to tell you? Anyway, so let's get to the day in question. Ten years ago today, um, you're going to have a better memory, I think, of how the whole thing came together and what the news was, but I'll let you tell yeah. what happened. So, yeah, I'll set the backstory. Is, all right, so obviously this tragic death of, of Natalie Wood, um, and I, I, this is the anniversary of that date from whatever year it was. Uh, maybe now it's like 40 years from uh, gone. Uh, and Christopher Walken was on the boat with Robert Young, and they, they, he's never talked Robert, about w- it. Robert ever. Wagner, right? R- Robert Wagner, I'm sorry, right. Robert Wagner. Yeah. And, and had never talked about it. And the anniversary was coming up in 2011, which I can't believe it's been 10 years. And the captain of the boat was making the rounds on like the Today Show and stuff like that talking about things that have never been reported for. So it was, it was a big news item. And we were talking before the show, and it, was, it happened to be the day that we were going to be doing walk-in. And you're like, well, walk, I have to ask walk-in about this. <laughs> it was like, ah, I don't know. This is like real-life stuff. You know? And you're like, come on, it'll be fun. Let's just do it, and let's just see how it goes. So we did it, and 
you know, as we always did, we sort of did improv stuff off our top of our head, just ripping the two of us. And you asked me what would happen that night, and you know, in his walk-in, I essentially said something like, "Right, there was lots of shouting and sambuca, and I went to my forward bunk, and I read a Hardy Boys novel, and then I went to sleep, and when I woke, Natalie was gone. It was a tragic day, tragic day, and you know, but and that was about it. We like went back and forth a little bit, and then he said, "Well, well who you got this week?" <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah. yeah. Lamar Jackson is going to throw the ball, you know, time. it was like just immediately into uh, fantasy football stuff. And the late, great Joe White of the AP was listening to the show and I guess didn't know the bit as he should have, but he thought that was legitimately Christopher Walken. So you and I finish up the show. We go on our, on our way and I go to the gym. And as I'm walking into the gym, this woman from Eightline or something like that calls me, one of those new shows, and says, Mr. Stern. I'm like, yeah, who's this? Like, oh, so-and-so from, you know, Dayline. Hey, do you have the audio for Mr. Walken being on your show earlier today? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she's like, no, Chris Walken talking. He's never spoken. We've got to get this audio. This is the biggest story in the country right now. And I was like, what are you, what? And I was like, oh, you're going to be so disappointed in about five seconds. She said, why? Right, because it's me, sweetheart. It was all just me. And she's like, no. And I was like, yes, that was the story. So then I started to realize this was becoming a very big story. And what I later found out was when the AP, when they designate like degrees of like importance for a story, red apparently is like the biggest story. Everything stops. This is the lead story. And earlier in that day, and I, I know you remember this day well because it was very important to you. Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore broke up. So that was the big story <laughs> of the day. Yeah. And then apparently, Joe White, caught, you know, of AP, calls in and says, stop the presses. <laughs> I got the story. Walk and talk. So it was like red paint over everything in AP. This became, like, literally the biggest story in the country. And then it, then it sort of was put out that it was a radio hoax. And we, were, and we pushed back on that hard because we were like, it's not a hoax. We, this is a bit that we do, <laughs> you know, like we weren't trying to fool anybody, we were just having fun. So, uh, and, and that was more or less, it. I mean, you know, I did a bunch of interviews, I think I went on um, uh, Hollywood, uh, Access Hollywood, yeah. uh, with Billy Bush, who had, actually I had ripped off the impersonation, oh my, I just apologize, I don't do the voice as much as I used to, so if the audience is listening to the that's Well, I, want, I, I do in. want you, because you kind of faded out a little bit. I want you to just repeat what was the line that essentially made Joe White, the Associated Press reporter, pull over on the side of the road and say, oh, my God, this is a massive story. Just into the phone a little bit more clearly, the whole, you know, the, 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 the shouting, the tragedy, what, what exactly was, when, when I said to you on the air that day, so what exactly happened that night? You said as Christopher Walken. Right. Well, Kev, what I tell you is what I tell the police then. You know, there was shouting and a night full of Sambuca, and I went to my forward bunk, and I read a Hardy Boys novel because I'm a big fan of those rascally little kids. And when I awoke, Natalie was gone, and it was a tragedy for all of us. Natalie was gone, and there you go. And that, that was it. Right. That was it. 
So, the, the, I mean, for everybody that's unfamiliar, that was like the most news about the Natalie Wood um, fa- very famous, mysterious death, which, by the way, happened in 1981 or 82 or something, right? It was the early 80s, whenever it I, happened. I'm, think, I'm thinking 81 because I think this is this is like the date of the big anniversary. Okay. It, so, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, here, um, Natalie Wood. Um, she was a looker, that's for sure. Uh, she, she, was, she was such a, a unique talent. She was so brilliant. Just the magic about her, and and it was this. It was one of those people in Hollywood that you loved, and her and Robert Wagner were this great couple, and and it was just shocked. They were on a boat. I, you know, nobody really knew what happened. She drowned. They didn't know whether she was drunk and fell off the boat or something like awful had happened. And and Walken, who was there because he was very close with the two of them, had never spoken about it. So right. this rumor that he finally had. Like took over everything, and it just became monstrous. Uh, so, by the way, um, yeah, the, Na- Natalie Wood, I would not put her in the same category as Sharon Tate, you know, in 1969 with the Manson yeah. thing. But this right. was yeah. this was a big, you know, story. And again, the fact that Walken was speaking about it for the first time made Joe White, the AP reporter, and we all knew Joe because Joe covered yeah. the football team yeah, for the Associated Joe. Press. Yeah. Um, God yeah. rest his soul. And Joe, you know, wrote it up and it hit the wires. And literally within five minutes after I walked out of that studio, uh, I think it was Sapienza was coming up to me going, what happened on the show? I'm getting calls from CNN and MSNBC <laughs> and they need, they need to talk to you guys about, you know, something that went on on the show. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then it occurred to me, oh my God, it's the Natalie Wood thing. But well, how would anybody know? I mean, we're 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 a little sports talk radio show in D.C. Well, it's because Joe yeah. White wrote an immediate story. It hit the wire. It blew up. And you know, Mark, you know, everybody, of course, everybody pointed um, all of the activity towards the producer of the show, which was which was Mark. And you know, if you still Google, you know, uh, Associated Press, Natalie Wood, Christopher Walken, nine eighty, you'll see all the stories that were written about it on that particular day um, because it was a massive national story until you know until uh, Stern told everybody that you know it's just it's this bit that we do Um, yeah it's this bit I was like you pick a fantasy football team you know and you know everything was great I mean it was fun telling people the story and we were having lots of laughs with it. After we figured out that we weren't going to get fired over this, it was like, okay, things are cool. And then I, I saw a phrase in one story like a day or two later, um, and it was that Mr. Walken has retained an attorney over this incident. And I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. oh, oh really? Oh, I, I don't remember <laughs> that part. Well, he, he didn't yes. do anything. He didn't sue anybody or threaten anybody. We, no, yeah. no. But I was terrified I'd get a knock on my door. You know, right, sunshine, you had your fun, you had your laugh. Now it's time to pay the piper. Yeah. You know, I, I think so, you I think you would have appreciated the whole bit. It would have been funny. But like I just yeah. you know, I just did what I just recommended everybody do. Just Google nine eighty Natalie Wood. Um, and here's, the, you know, uh, there are 30 stories. The Hollywood Reporter, Natalie Wood death, Christopher Walken radio interview is a hoax, you know, <laughs> and, and it, t- it tells the whole story of the day. It was it was crazy. It really was. Um, 
uh, but also pretty funny. Uh, oh, it was great fun, you know. Yeah. And and I think I don't know if I'm still on it, but I know on on Walkin's Wikipedia page, I was officially listed as one of the great Walkin impersonators. Really? Like, wow. Oh, I didn't yeah, know. That. It was, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. And and I just go back to Kevin. The whole idea of that bit, coming up with it, you know, the two of us, and then executing it weekend we had, it was one of the, the most fun things that we did on that show. I laughed every single time. <laughs> it was always great fun. And, and to get that sort of, like, you know, publicity out of this one thing was sort of amazing. But I just was like, look, it's a really good bit. <laughs> like, you know, we got to keep doing this. And it was, I don't know, I always loved doing that. That was one of my favorite things for my time with the sports fan. Yeah, and, who, and for who, those of you that need to hear it, one of the greatest sports shows of all okay. time. I'll just say that um, for the record. And who knew Christopher Walken was a big Hardy Boys guy? Um, I, that's a shocker <laughs> to me. Uh, right, right. By the way, do you know what happened next week? Because it was such a, you know, a, a hoopla over Next week you asked Walken, hey, is there anything you want to correct about that story? And I think I said yes. It wasn't a Hardy Boys novel. It was a Nancy Drew novel. That was the <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I, 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 do, I, I do remember just the whole Sambuca. There was some Sambuca. Yeah. There was some shouting. And then just tragedy. Um, and, yeah. I mean, I, and, and I can just picture, you know, Joe White just listening going, oh, my God. And, you know, yeah. Joe, look, he should have called the station. He should have said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, um, but uh, whatever. Um, that was fun. Uh, it, it's funny because in August I had Spectre on um, to talk about the earthquake day, which was 10 years ago in August on the sports fix. And you weren't there and Tommy wasn't yeah. there, but we did find the audio of that. I think you even have the audio of that. Of, of, I do have the audio that I play yeah. that occasionally on the Kornheiser show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was, I was, so I was in the Verizon store right next to where the station was. Yeah, well, the I, earthquake I, I think you, I think because everybody was doing vacations, I think some of the other producers were out and then, and Chuck probably said, do you mind not producing Kev, uh, sports fix today and producing the afternoon show or something like that? Something probably happened yeah. where you had to fill in for somebody. And then Steven, who by the way, has had a nice career out in Kansas city. You know, he's the program oh, director. Yeah. He does a, a really good show on, I think it's six ten in Kansas city, the sports talk station. Um, guy. But we were there and then you, and I remember outside and the whole building's outside. It's a beautiful August day. And you and I are both looking at each other going, are we seriously going to just stand out here for the rest of the day? Cause, cause like, you know, my, half the people basically were like, I don't want to go back to work, but we need, we wanted to go back, get our work done and get the hell out of there. And yeah. you just said, at one point you just said, fuck it, I'm going in. And you did. And then you called me and you said, it's all clear. I mean, there's no, there's no damage in the building here. We're good. And, and the truth is we had no idea what, it, no. you know, because there really was a lot of damage from that earthquake, as we know. I mean, yeah. it seems like the cathedral was worked on for, you know, all, you know, right. up until very recently. Um, all right. That was yeah. great. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely, man. I love chat with you. You know that. And this is a great show and you're the best. Thank right. you, brother. Uh, Mark Stern, a.k.a. Nigel on the Tony Kornheiser podcast and show and my good friend. All right. That's it for the day. Back tomorrow with a football Friday.